0: and even stand-up comedy. So, be sure to find and follow these great arts podcasts today. Now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Hey listeners, Sourdough here. Listen, today's episode is a different one because my partner in crime and regular co-host, the renowned man one, can't be here today. So, I've asked a couple of friends from the entertainment business to come in and co-host with me. Their names are Eric Winter, and John Steinberg. Eric is an amazing actor, producer, and children's book author who's currently playing Officer Bradford on ABC's The Rookie. Maybe you've seen him. John is a former actor turned entrepreneur and is the creator and executive producer of The Rookie. I've known these guys for a while now through my connections in the entertainment business and consider them great friends. I've asked John and Eric to be on the show because they're artists too, and I thought it'd be cool just to sit down and chop it up over our mutual interest for the arts and creativity and crazy business that we're all in as artists. So without further ado, let's get started making some not real art. Thanks for listening. Hello, this is Siri and you're listening to my favorite podcast, Not Real Art. I live for this shit because it's totally lit. Welcome to Not Real Art. What's happening? Series. Hey. Hey you guys. You don't know this but this is Series favorite creative culture podcast and they call me sourdough. S- S- yeah. Sour. Sourdough. Sourdough. Sourdough, power. sourdough So here's what's unusual about today's session. So usually these shows are co-hosted with my partner in crime, the renowned artist Man 1, Angelino's own OG artist and he's not with us today and so you guys get to help fill his shoes as my co-host
1: honored honored thank uh, you it's so the thank honor's you. all mine yeah.
0: and i'm feeling very grateful for you guys showing up you're very busy individuals
1: well we're big fans of your podcast yeah, so it's well, like it's all coming full well, circle
0: I, I, I know you you know i know you've listened to every episode everyone everyone okay. so you know then what the whole shtick is here right so we all work in this crazy business called, we'll just call it the arts, the creative industry, the creative economy, which, by the way, Ernst & Young valued at $2 trillion globally lot in of 2015. Lot of, lot of a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs>
2: we're trying right. to get, a, few,
1: trying to get want, a small cut for ourselves. That's right. Eric that's right. So, and <laughs> I are partners in crime on that front.
0: That's right. So, you know, given this huge industry or this huge culture that we're a part of as artists, as actors, as writers, as producers, as designers, what have you, We created this podcast to celebrate and elevate these stories, right? And just sit down, right, with our fellow colleagues, our fellow friends that work in the arts, and just talk, right, about our passion, talk about our pain, talk about our interests in terms of what we do, right? And so, our listeners typically hear. Man and I talk about our struggle around being visual artists. There's a whole angst around that. But you guys have this really interesting life as working in television, as writers, producers, actors, as talent. But our listeners may not know who you are. Why don't you tell us uh, who the hell
3: you are? Eric, what's what's your story, Please, please. please? (laughs) (laughs) Well, my name is Eric Winter. Started in this crazy business as a model years ago. And you can tell. Dude, you're so ugly. How, how did you do that? It was, it was a struggle. It He's was holding yeah, up with yeah, a, a face a like that battle. with a mug like that. <laughs> <laughs> He's holding up quite well. I was taking advantage No. I was taking a advantage of... A of surgery. Yeah, that's, that's exactly. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was you know, a student in, at UCLA studying pre-med. Got wrapped up... Real dumbass. Me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got wrapped up dating a girl who told me you should do this. And why aren't you doing this? Because that's what people do in L.A. And I had taken a drama class for fun as an elective, and she helped me get with a manager that Took me on as Always a model a woman, isn't it? Always, yeah. A, yeah. She, you know, that's pushed that's my career roll. forward. That's how we roll. And uh, I got very lucky early on. And got a got a big campaign for Tommy Hilfiger, and it sort of boosted me into this business. Dude, you know, I think I was wearing form. your pants. <laughs> my underwear. Man. I was wearing <laughs> your underwear. Polo. Those polos,
1: <laughs> underwear a little a box of briefs. those, little, those slags. little slags. Little slags?
3: And that, you know, that has uh, snowballed into an acting career with a lot of study and hard work and a lot of nose and. and Okay, let me Down see your points. sad face right now. If you're an actor, let me see your sad face. Oh, it's just... <laughs> oh, my God. I'm going to cry. It's a Are you okay? Face. <laughs> no, it's more of just pissed off and angry. It really don't get sad. You just get mad.
2: It sucks. I don't ever
3: walk away sad. It's always like, why?
2: Why wasn't it me? And you don't
3: normally understand. Don't, and you normally don't get
1: the why. Yeah, and that's the you not usually part. get the that's why, hard part of the arts.
3: a very difficult part of the, the arts, and especially yeah. someone... Like I come from a sports background where you yeah. generally can get the why right. as to you know, watch tape this is why it didn't work this right, is why yeah, you missed right, the tackle right. this is why so, you screwed so up.
0: let me break this down for a second so wait a minute so if i understood what you were saying now you know what our listeners don't know that you and i know each other socially so i know this a little bit but like basically what what i've learned about you over our friendship is that i really have to hate you right i have to hate you you know why because not only are you fucking ugly you're dumb and you know like so so let me break this down so you were an athlete you were a model and you were pre-med so like you're a triple threat <laughs>
1: he's like wookie in uh something about marriage <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i heard he's modeling yeah, yeah right.
0: <laughs> well sure, it there one step at a time <laughs> eric, I, I know i know i know you're used to things being all about you my friend but we have to share the love today right yes, because 100%. we have this other tall dark handsome uh guy over here uh who Never the hell are you him. who the
1: hell are you i'm uh john steinberg i work with eric on the rookie he uh, gave me a job I'm, what is what is the Rookie? The Rookie is a police dramedy on ABC, uh, Tuesdays, 10 Mm o'clock. Eric is uh, Lieutenant Bradford. He's amazing. And I'm one of the executive producers on the show.
0: How the hell did you get that job?
1: You know, like Eric, it was a long road. Uh, I studied communication and writing and theater at uh, Syracuse and got out of school and I tried to get into the CBS Page program, which was like the way to get into TV in New York, which I highly recommend if anybody uh, is listening right now that wants to get into television. And I couldn't get in. And funny enough, I kind of backdoored my way into doing TV commercials as an actor. And I was the, for those people who were probably 40 and above, I was, I was the son of the MCI campaign and the friends and family. I was the TD Ameritrade guy. And, had a nice little run, but I always wanted to get into TV. And, and Can our
0: listeners YouTube those ads right now? Yeah, that's, I don't that's know. what's happening It's <laughs> it, it kind of funny.
1: But I went well, as John Stonehill. Yeah. John Stonehill was the sag name. So what I learned a valuable lesson is as I had something else going on and I cared less about getting into the CBS Page program, the stars aligned and they called me saying, come back in for an interview. I no longer wanted the job. And I said, you know, it's just for the experience. And I learned so much about life that I went in there and wanted to learn rather than try to sell myself. It was more about learning what they were Looking for than trying to sell myself of what I wanted from them. And by the end of the day, they actually begged me to take the job. And so I became a page at CBS, did that for a couple of years while I was doing commercials and and writing, and and eventually uh, moved out to LA in 2001. So, wait a minute. So,
0: we have a New Yorker and an Angelina. Mm -hmm. Because, Eric, because you were born and raised in LA, right? Born and raised here.
1: Yeah around oh, all this crazy people wow. actually are born and raised and here we were, it's so <laughs> and, strange and
0: i'm born and raised and in, uh, in and around the flyover city of chicago so one of know, my we've favorite got, cities you know we've got we're all represented yeah. here you know it wasn't until i moved to la that i ever heard that phrase flyover city so i moved to la because the connection city no one, is a big hub is that well, why, or don't or know, why because why? some fucking <laughs> asshole no no so i'm at this dinner right and somebody goes so where are you from because i just moved and I said chicago and he goes oh the flyover city
1: I don't understand how somebody would say that. It's like a major, yeah, awesome well, city. Well, I had never
0: heard that before, right? So I said, well, what do you mean fly over? He said, well, you know, you fly over Chicago to get from New York to L.A. And I was like, you know what? Keep flying over.
1: Yeah, dick. <laughs> That's
2: funny.
0: What an asshole, right? I've totally like, heard, heard that keep before. Keep flying over.
1: So I've anyway. Even if it was a place that technically I've never been to or plan on visiting, I still wouldn't say that to the no. person who is from there anyway. Any of
3: all the cities that are a flyover, one of the biggest, best cities, like there are plenty of other cities totally. that are flyover
1: cities. Oh, <laughs> and a major, I mean, how many amazing, talented actors and comedians came Dude, out of I Chicago? Have so many, sure. I have so
0: many stories, which I won't go into, but I have so many stories about days in Chicago, you know, out with the boys, you know, randomly meeting somebody at the bar from. LA and we would, you know, Oh, where are you from? Oh, LA. Oh, come with us. <laughs> yeah. Cut to them, you know, <laughs> under the table at midnight going, what's the problem, pal? Anyway. Okay. So what I love about our stories, right. And what really, what brings us together is cause I mean, let's cut to the chase, right? We're all artists. I mean, you know, yes, some of us are, have scientific analytical minds as well, but you know, we have a real artistic core, you know, we're creative people. I mean, you know, for whatever reason we were, you know, passionate about expressing ourselves through different mediums and stuff. And so, I mean, it's a real struggle. I mean, you guys both have had real struggles and we're
3: still struggling.
0: I mean, nobody's really where we want to be yet, right?
3: Especially in this business. I think with art, it's always, it's, it's a growth process. You know, you're constantly changing and you see it, whether it's an artist that paints or whatever, they're always going through periods and phases that they're you know, evolving through. And I think with actors, same thing. Producers, same thing. And, you know, you brought up a very valid point. It's like the moment you sort of stopped not caring, but putting so much of your energy into one thing, it all of a sudden flipped and it came to you. And so I, th- I feel like so much of the creative in this business, it's a lot of that. The more you continue to just put so much energy into that, not that you shouldn't give it your all, but when, you, when it's uh, all encompassing, it seems to put up a flag to people that they can see. Yeah. And when you release that and you just do it for you and you're creatively passionate about it, right. people start coming to you in an interesting way. And and I think that was a point that you brought up that I can fully relate with.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, and we're all telling stories. I yes. mean, you know, it's a visual medium. I mean, all art is visual. I mean, obviously you're you're more in stills. Eric and I are obviously, you know, telling stories. story. I action. You know, Live action. <laughs> Live action. And I think in terms of listeners out there, I, I would also keep your eye on the marketplace. Uh, it's a business. Yeah. And I think that you can't be naive to ignore that. And I, I think you really need to tap into, and I think one reason why you know you and man have done a great job, and I think one reason why Eric is, is successful and why the rookie is doing well is, you know, what is the marketplace? Now, you need to tell a story that taps into some kind of universal experience right. that people could relate to. I mean, that's what we're all doing when we watch these stories is how do we relate to this and how does it take Empathetic. us to this? Empathetic. Yeah, to empathy. a certain place. Yeah. But you also want to see of what, what that marketplace is and, and how you could combine your vision, your creativity with the marketplace of what people are looking to buy. And I think that has to be a dual kind of process. And if not, I think you're lessening your opportunity to succeed.
0: Well, and it's interesting, too, because, I mean, both of your perspectives are obviously very rooted in your realities, right? Eric, you're primarily in front of the camera, and John, you're primarily behind the camera, right? As a producer, writer, as a as a on-air, you know, talent, what have you, Eric. So, and it, it's just, it, it is an interesting uh, symbiotic kind of dynamic, right, in, at least in this town. I and mean, you guys come together, really, I don't know if you knew each other before The Rookie, but you came together on that project, correct?
3: Yeah, I we mean met we met at, at Dava's. Yeah, <laughs> oh right, that's right, that's right. A birthday right. party, but we, still yeah. not really knowing each Which, other. Which, by the
0: way, we should maybe confess to the listeners. I mean, this could be the real husbands of Hollywood episode of the Not Real Art podcast. Yeah, I
1: like, to think, <laughs> I like, I like to think we're the men of ABC. I like, yeah. I like, to, I like to think of ourselves
0: well, as uh, I'm not me, not me
2: anymore.
1: Not
0: anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as a Friday, I'm just a civilian.
1: <laughs> we love, we, we love you, Channing. Yeah. Yes, uh, yeah, we met at a party, and yeah. and I mean, I'm a big fan of Eric. I mean, forget the good luck. He's just a warm, he's one of these dudes that you just warm up to, you're a great guy. And that being said, business is business. And even though I liked him tremendously, when he came into screen test for The Rookie, it was down to him and and another talented actor. And from a business perspective, right off the bat, Eric is incredibly talented. He dug extremely deep, I think deeper than ever. He really brought it. uh, Liz Friedlander, who's the director of the pilot, who's amazing, if she's listening, love you, Liz. Shout out, Liz. Shout out, Liz. Liz worked with Eric before and was a big fan of Eric. And and I, having met Eric before, was a fan of his personally. And when he came in, he killed it. I mean, he really did kill it. And and that's something that artists need to to realize. You need to work your ass off. And you need to really bring it. And and the more prepared you are, the less nervous you're going to be. It's not a matter of, oh, I need to be spontaneous. I can't prepare that much. No, prepare your ass off. And Eric brought it and from a business perspective just yeah. to being frank besides the fact he's incredibly talented the fact that he's very good looking doesn't hurt i mean you know we're going after an audience that has a lot of females involved and i felt like he had the whole package and i felt like we were lucky to you get said him. package that didn't hurt either well that <laughs> takes us to our koreatown spa <laughs> nights which is a whole other thing and i'm a big hey, this fan is a, this is a pg-13 <laughs> show eric in the magic underwear is a different conversation <laughs> uh, uh, which i you all all know, that. That all right, you know but
0: but i would but you know look i mean as artists, we're all on our own journeys and we all get to where we want to go various ways. And oftentimes it is so not a direct route, right? I mean, it is, we take the scenic route.
1: Generally, know, that's the case. Generally. Almost everybody does. And yeah.
0: John, I mean, your journey to the story of The Rookie and like the, the, you know, like, like this is rooted in your own personal experience. Like, talk about that a little bit. How did you discover the story and bring it to ABC?
1: Thank you. Yeah, I had a long journey to get to where I am today, and I think we all did. I, was, uh, I moved out to LA in 2001 when everybody was laying off. I ended up getting a job with Peter Himes, a director, and, and lucky enough, I knew his son from Syracuse, small world. He was intent on hiring somebody with agency experience, which I didn't have, and then he had Ken Burns' baseball book on his, on his table, and I'm a huge baseball fan, and I love Ken Burns, and next thing you know, we're chatting for three hours, and that's something else I would say to artists, and Eric, you touched on this before. Read everything. Read the New York Times every day. Read, read, like read magazines, read newspapers, read the world, educate yourself. No matter what you think, the more educated you are and the smarter you are about what's going on in the world, the more it's going to help your art, whether it's a direct translation or just you being a fuller, more interesting rounded person to relate to the people that you need to work with to move ahead. So we hit it off. I got a job with him, then started writing, sold a couple of uh, projects as a writer, but never got the break. You know, Got a couple of things sold, uh, set up. They didn't move forward. The Writers Guild went on strike in 2007, and I was affected also by the SAG strike in 2000. So at that point, I wanted to take a break from entertainment, and I got into the entrepreneurial space, into the startup scene. I was involved with a blog called Rundown. We were a competitor of Thrillist I remember. and yep. Email Magazine for Men. We were all trying to be the daily candy for men back then, but de- delivering kind of a city guide to men through their inbox when email was such a more of an innovative form of communication. And through that process, I lead, led all sales, all biz dev, closed dozens and dozens of campaigns with blue chip brands and really learned how not only to sell, but to tell a story. And when it comes to sales and everybody listening right now, you need to sell as well as you need to perform your art. And that's part of the process is to sell your art or sell yourself and really focus on not just trying to impress the person, but sales is about solving a problem. What does that other person need and how can you help them solve that problem? And when you approach it that way, it's amazing of of going through that process of the last seven, 10 years in this space and launching two or three companies of, of focusing on the business, even though we're storytellers. And so when it came to the rookie, I had a dating blog, even though I'm happily married. It was called Check Their Fridge. Scotty, you know, Eric, I don't know if we ever talked about this, but it was based on my single life when I was single, where I would analyze somebody's dating prospects based on the refrigerator. And next thing you know, I'm on dozens of morning talk shows. I was blogging through my alter ego, John Stonehill, and I got approached to do a reality show. And I realized that I did not want to do a reality show, but I really wanted to get back into entertainment. Meanwhile, an old friend of mine from Syracuse was going through this experience of reinventing himself and he was the real life rookie. The rookie's based on a real person. I took his story, I embellished what needed to be embellished to create the most inspiring story possible. And I, important for artists as well as, as both uh, Eric, uh, Mr sourdough as you know ip intellectual property you know if you're going to develop a project the more intellectual property you can have to support that project the better i got the life rights to the real life rookie i saw an amazing one hour dramedy show here it, it
0: you know for our listeners and i know there's probably one listener who has not seen the rookie just one i know everyone else has seen it so they know the premise but for that one lonely listener out there who's oh, saying them stuff you know what is the rookie Give us the quick elevator pitch on the premise.
1: It's about a 45-year-old guy who is going through his life and realized that he's not doing what he was meant to do with his life. And so he wanted to do something that mattered. And he looked around the country, and the only major police department in the country that takes rookies over 40 is the LAPD. True story. True story. So he moved out here. And think about this. He's 45, and nine months later, he's walking the streets of LA with a gun on his hip, ready to shoot somebody if he had to. I mean, the life transformation he went to, and there's this amazing fish-out-of-water story here, and we all love fish-out-of-water stories, right? He's 20 years older than his fellow rookies, so he's a little older, he's in not as good shape, he's a little more hardwired, but on the other end, he's got a superpower, He's so much smarter and more educated than his fellow rookies, as well as probably 95% of the entire department. He has, and the life experience he has is such an amazing, valuable asset as a policeman. And so he could get wins and empathize with people and relate to people. And all this amazing of running a business for 20 years, now that he's a cop, he knows how to really tap into people and empathy and really kind of relate to them in a way that 99% of other cops never would be able to do because they go straight into the police force well they're 20 in their twenties, whatever you know. so it, so there's really this amazing character and the fact that he was dating a fellow rookie who was you know 20 years younger than She's him so hot by the and way, i'm like wait a second you're having sex with a girl born in the 90s that's amazing yeah. <laughs> you know and so i thought yeah this is a great show right. so right. i brought it to mark orton's company right.
0: which by the way i just want to say all the ladies on the show are very very attractive I really like... That's really the only reason I watch this show.
1: The thing I... Eric, <laughs> no offense. No, the, the, look, I mean, look, we have Mr. Handsome over here and I want Eric to chime in, but the one thing I will say as somebody who, like, kind of oversaw the casting... What I love about the ladies on the show is you actually buy them
3: as cops. As yeah, cops, you totally. know they're yeah. beautiful. 100%. Not,
1: we saw the beautiful ninety-pound hot little model coming into so you're like, all right, is this girl really going to kick somebody's ass? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, you
0: can yeah, buy yeah. them all. That's right, right, that's right. the beauty of
3: it, right? So sure.
0: can I? So can I tell you guys just a quick story? So in 1997, I was carjacked in Chicago. Yeah, I was carjacked, right? So long story short, which months and months uh, I ended up, this guy was the guy that jacked me was uh, eight, had been convicted of seven prior felonies. He was like a career criminal. So I put him away for another 15 years. Right. And when I was the court date, the knock on my door, they said, well, we're bringing you to court because I was getting threatening phone calls because he was connected and they were like, didn't want me to testify the whole thing. Anyway, so I opened the door, and there are these two Irish bombshell female plainclothes vice cops. They're like, We're here to take you to court. I'm like, Nice. (laughs)
2: Lock
0: me up, ladies. It was like it was like wait a minute. So my favorite movie star like this. <laughs> there was a, she was a, one was an Irish blonde, one was an Irish kind of redhead. They both had big guns on their hips, and 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 yeah, they were very nice. Anyway, so Please. Eric, your character is really interesting because you played like this tough guy, but really you got like a like a soft center.
3: Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, as a character of the soft center, he is, it comes from a lot of personal turmoil and heartache that he deals with, I think, you know, from with the love of his life, which is his, his wife, and trying to learn how to balance that situation with the fact that she left him for drugs, essentially. And that sort of gave him this hard, hard outer shell, even though he tries to still, I think, He's still in touch with who he was when he was happy, but there's this outer shell and, and this wall he's put up with everyone around him, and I think it's also shaped the way he polices and how serious he takes his job as a training officer working right. with. Right. I would not rookies. want to get pulled over by him, by Bradford. <laughs> yeah.
0: That guy's—he's I mean,
3: yeah, he's a fucking asshole. He's you know, no I mean? nonsense. Yeah. You know, he's the kind of guy that you will never. He's such a good cop. He's fair. Yeah, but right. and he's by so fair yeah. by the book. Yeah. Nothing. You know, if you're a bad guy and you're not guilty, you're not guilty. If you're a bad guy and you're, I mean, you know, then you're a good guy. And if you're a bad guy, you're going down and you're going to go down with whatever he's got to give you. And I think his life experience also is something that has really shaped the way he handles situations. Maybe sometimes not always for the best, a little bit hot headed and hot tempered and irrational at times, but still with the heart of being a good cop at the forefront of that and, and training good rookies okay i have a question for you eric because
0: there's the episode i don't know which number it was but it was our, our hero gets the dubious honor of the vip ride-along right oh uh, yeah. yeah that was just last seven seven yeah, yeah. It was last week. And, and it's sort of like positioned as like you know it's the shit job like nobody wants to do the vip you know but i'm guessing to prepare
3: for your role you had to do a ride-along at I did a few point. ride-alongs. Yeah, okay. I did a few. And oddly enough, I was like the peacemaker of the city because every time I did a ride-along, nothing happened. <laughs> and I mean, I went to Rampart, or those <laughs> difficult divisions. And the crickets. Yeah. Everybody just stayed inside. Yeah. They were afraid of me. Finally, on my last ride-along, I did one with, with Liz Friedlander, our director, who I love. And we got in a serious situation that was... I can't even imagine what goes through... Well, I know it went through my mind, but what goes through a cop's mind on a daily basis? Tell us what happened. You know, it was totally by, by happenstance. He took us down a street. It was... The night of this one gang's big annual party, so it's like their corporate night, their big party night, and they Those celebrate are, yeah, being yes, a gang, I yeah. guess, this night. <laughs> it's their Christmas. <laughs> it's their Christmas party. Hey, man. It's their holiday party. It's a business. And you know? uh, we thought they'd all be out, and I guess what they often do is start at a house or on you know on a street that's a known gang street, and then they mosey on to Hollywood and hit up clubs, and then they come back, and that's when trouble usually you know happens. Yeah. The gang unit was off that night, which is odd and we went down the street. <laughs> somebody's
0: somebody's going to get <laughs> something miscalculated yeah, schedules here. Yeah, right,
3: right. So a sergeant who drives, you know, rides along with us took us down this street and a you know, normal street you have cars parked on each side of the street and then it just became double parked on one side so it became a one lane road and as we went in we came to a house, and this is a known gang street, the gang house. They, you know, they all have Casey streets. They know which houses are gang, you know, houses. And we pull up to one area where he's about to show us, and there are probably a hundred gang members out on, wow. in and around the street, on the block, in the house, out of the house. That's a good part. And this sergeant decides to say, "Hey, <laughs> what are you all doing here? Double parked." <laughs> If you don't move these cars, I'm coming back with my boys. And I'm like, why do we feel now is the time to engage these these uh, <laughs> gentlemen that are just sitting here doing nothing at the moment about double parking? Because I'm really fine with it. And I'm in the back. I'm in the back seat, which is not bulletproof door. And uh, what are the one of the guys poking the bear? Well, you know, this is, yeah, the bear. this is when you see all the posturing come up. And you know, they have a mutual respect for each other. Not you know, gang members don't just want to go to jail unless yeah. they have something to prove. I mean, yeah. they have business that they're trying to do right. and make you know, money. Yeah. yeah. Getting themselves in trouble is not exactly Damn. what they want to do every right, moment. Right. So, but you just see posture and a movement and you see people sort of start to go back and some come forward and, you know, one just says, I don't know, man. I don't know why they're here. And then the cop <laughs> says, well, get it all sorted out or I'll be back with my boys. Then we go to make a turn to leave and another car full of gang members basically blocks us. Yeah. And we can't move. Chicken. Wow. the chicken. it becomes who's going to move first right. so we can go around them. Right. And at that point, again, the posturing and the people around that house coming towards the car a little bit, just to sort of right, it, it's all present. Sandwiched, right? you You're feel, sandwiched. felt the whole energy yeah. in the car and around you, yeah. like the environment goes quiet, like you feel in the, in the movies. And the I'm in mean, again in the back seat. The cop in the front seat pulls up his gun and has it below the window. Wow! So sure. if he's doing that. Yeah. You yeah, know, what are they he, doing? Yeah. You know,
0: he's... Liz yeah. back back. was in the
3: backseat with no, you. No, Liz in the front seat, which wow. is bulletproof door, and I'm in the back seat, <laughs> which I got nothing. <laughs> and I'm like, this is I'm laughing because clearly we know the ending. be happening. What am I going to do? Holy I'm toast. I'm in a bull trap. Yeah. And ultimately... Are remember, you wearing Kevlar? No. Oh, Jesus. I'm just in my Jordans. <laughs> my jeans. We gotta
0: protect the face. We the body. I mean, it's
1: even. And they, and they want those Jordans, and by the way. Little by
3: little, everybody inches and they let us drive out. And I would say within five minutes, that cop is on his cell phone. He's on the walkie. He's radioing everybody in town that we gotta go bust this house and move them or else something's gonna happen. And within 10 minutes, there were probably 60 cops. We all met at a church's chicken at 11 o'clock at night. I'll never forget it. Like game planning, how we're gonna infiltrate the street. And I remember the funny thing was I got recognized while. I, so they're all there. And one dude had seen me in Harold and Kumar. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> so we're standing yeah I didn't there. know
3: you were in Harold and Kumar. Yeah, I'm in the second one, the Guantanamo Bay. I'm, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm Kumar's. I'm the douche that's trying to, that's dating Kumar's ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> he can't stand. So, so I marry her. at the yeah, end. yeah. So I'm so Colton Graham. You, I, I didn't know that was you. They call, yeah. So this guy is like, hey. You look familiar, <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, this is not the time to have this conversation with sixty cops around." And Liz is like, "Yeah, he's an actor, Harold and Kumar." And I'm like, "Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's me. That's me. Let's let's figure out what you guys are doing with this game plan." And they're like, "Are you guys cool scaling the wall?" And I'm like, "I'm not scaling a wall. I have a Kevlar vest. I play a cop. I'm not a cop." And then we are like. Kind of excited to do it. And Air Unit came over and they let radio back to us after we'd mapped out our plan that everybody left. So these gang members took the warning.
1: That's so funny.
3: And left. It was that simple. Can you believe it?
1: That's a great so story. So apparently, but okay, I was so, scared. Yeah. I mean I freaked out. Wow, so, it was intense. Okay,
3: so that is
0: intense on many levels. But the, the one of the levels that it's intense is because in the rookie episode, the whole point is that the, don't put the VIP in harm's way. Yeah. So my concern
3: with you I is like put- maybe you're not VIP enough, my friend. <laughs> yeah, because I clearly got put. In right, yeah, way. they're like, you know, no, let's put. It. I was yes. like, We're not thinking this right. I'm in the back seat, guys. There is no door that's going to protect me. Wow, Um, man. That is crazy. It was easy. It was was a great learning experience that ride along.
1: One thing that Eric does great, I'll chime in, and I really do mean this. I don't know if we, we, we talk about stuff. You have a rare gift of being likable even when you're a dick. And that's something that you do well on the show. And I think that's something reason why is you, you talked about the Bradford character. You do a good job with that. And that, that's a balance that is, is hard to manage. And, and you, you really do it well. well. But I
0: think it's partly because the viewer believes that his intentions are good. Like he might be a hard ass and he might, you know what I mean? He might be a dick, whatever. But like, you know, his core is kind of well-intentioned.
3: And it it happened even like in the pilot. And that was what I have heard a lot of the testing and even people that just commented after it aired. It was like people couldn't stand me and didn't know what my MO was, why I was so hard on my rookie. And then when they saw the interaction with my ex-wife and that she was an addict and what he's going through on a personal level, everybody started to empathize with my situation, you know, and and feel for me, and realize this is a guy that's trying to, you know, every day trying to do good, and work his ass off on the street to protect people, yet he's got this crazy personal turmoil going on. How do you balance real life, with what you're doing, you know, on the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: going back to real life and going back to what we're here to talk about in terms of the art, what probably most of your viewers don't realize is your character is based, the story of your character is based on a real story. And in terms of art, we have to learn how to curate. Mm-hmm. It's all about killing your babies and what works, what doesn't work. And, and one, a death sentence to an artist is thinking that every single thing they do is a gold nugget and it's not. Uh, a lot of what we do are turds, and we have to separate the well, turds from by the way, good.
0: to that exact point, right? So I just got back from Arpazel, Miami, right? And I was talking about this yesterday with somebody. They're like, well, how was the art? I'm like, well, 80% of it was crap, 10% of it was promising, and 10% of it was genius. I'm like, that's it. So to your point, yeah. I mean, not everything you do... Exactly. It's going to be good. And by the way, don't be afraid to say to yourself, oh yeah, that's crap. Let's throw it away. Well, Let's go on to the next.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. And, and so it was interesting is when I've heard hundreds of stories from Bill, the real life rookie, you know, uh, who the show's based on. And out of the, the hundreds of stories I heard, one st- out of, I probably chose five stories to, sorry, this will be part of the pitch of what we bring to, you know, the the production company, the studio, and and move on to the network. And one of the stories is is real life story, a guy that my friend was in the academy with, he was the second oldest rookie. Maybe he was 30, whereas my buddy was like 45. So he had life experience. He had an eight-year-old daughter. He was a smart dude. His very first shift... His very first radio call on his first shift, they have to go to a 7-Eleven, the, the 7-Eleven on Temple in Rampart. That 7-Eleven, we've all passed by. And he pulls up and he goes, white as a freaking ghost. And he says to his, commanding, to his training officer, he goes, sir, I have to tell you something. That woman there is my wife. I have not seen her in eight years. She's the mother of my daughter. I thought she was dead. Crazy. And that was the very first call wow. he ever took as a cop. And when I heard that, I just had the chills. Holy and shit, that man. led to sharing with Alexi Hawley, who's our talented, you know, creator uh, showrunner. I shared that story with him. I'm like, and he and I are both on the same page of like that. That's a story that we have to somehow get into this pilot. Well, by the way, Which if you actually saw that, if you
0: saw yeah.
3: that in a television show, you would think, oh, that that's you would just think it's just for television.
1: You would think fiction. it's drama yeah. for television. And 100%. that's when I, when
3: I first read this, you know, that that was one of my audition scenes. I thought, you know, great scene. This was clearly written for dramatic effect. When I learned it was a real story, I was like, can you believe And that's why when things are meant to happen in life for you to experience something, they happen. It's what you're supposed to go through in that moment.
1: And that shaped your whole character. And one reason why you're so like, I mean, it's complex in a great way.
3: Yeah. Well, I
0: have, of course, silly enough to do this, but like, I have a story idea. Let's hear it. I got to pitch you guys. Ready. Go and i'm not professional like you guys i don't know how this is done i'm just gonna like share something you take it and run with it if you know but here's the truth right so i know a lot of graffiti writers and what a lot of people don't realize about graffiti artists is that those guys grow up in neighborhoods that they have a choice they basically they have like so they can either join a pick up a gun and join a gang or they can pick up a spray can And become an artist, you know. And, you know, a lot of people look at graffiti art as just straight-up vandalism. They don't understand that this is rooted in a community and a culture that doesn't have a whole lot of options. You know, and these kids are actually trying to do the right thing and express themselves and express their frustration. And so it is a very human reality. So I think it would be an interesting storyline to uh, explore how... Perhaps your character, Officer Branford, somehow befriends this graffiti writer that is struggling in this world, and uh, maybe the other cops thinks he's he's an asshole, but you know. He's actually a good guy, and what he's going up against, and you can sort of humanize this reality. So anyway, well, here's what's take here, it it. Here, here's, interesting.
1: Where, here's where my mind goes with this, frankly, and something we could talk about with Alexei. And I think it's here's the thing: you're bringing up a great subject. Now it's like, how do you twist it, filter it, and make it actionable? One thing that might be interesting is there's a graffiti artist who's your secret informant and by what they, the way they tag buildings during Ooh. the day yes,
3: that's interesting. are actually Ooh. secret
1: signals to Bradford of what's going on in that neighborhood and what to watch out for. That's, that's interesting. actually interesting. Wow. Yeah, that is so easy. suddenly now you have this interesting dynamic of people, what you want to tap into as much as possible when it comes to artists, we could all relate to and, I'm just so happy to be sitting down with you guys because I'm such a big fan of both of you, is how do you curate, how do you obviously take something and do the best you can to make it relatable? And I'm not saying you have to sell out and be commercial, but that being said, if you could take something like a lot of people, as you said, Scotty, Mr. Sourbidot, they see, uh, and I grew up in New York, and frankly, growing up in in New York in the 70s and 80s, I hated graffiti because you go on the subway and the whole subway car was graffitied, and you, you felt like it was... Vandalism. Yeah, you know okay. that that's what you felt. Okay. And we all drive by this graffiti, but if suddenly you take this commercial, relatable concept that we've all seen, and suddenly it becomes this interesting twist on something we already know, that's why The Rookie sold. We've all seen a zillion cop shows, but instead of the typical story we've all seen of the young stud rookie and the seasoned veteran officer, and they learn from each other, we've seen that. We did a twist on that, and suddenly the seasoned mature guy is the rookie, and, and you know they learn from each other, and there was this twist that, that relate to... So just going back to your graffiti idea, there's a way to make that interesting, and and I actually that's something I will yeah, share with the guys. Cool I think that's the, you know suddenly Bradford being the guy and being the stud cop that he is, he's going through the neighborhood and suddenly we play up this this concept of he's got a great relationship with a graffiti artist who tags things in certain ways to kind of give him the download of what's going on in the in the division. It could be day. somebody Isabel
3: even you know tip me to at some point to stay in contact with that's right okay so i was just gonna say this one
0: last thing right because if you if you explore the storyline don't make the mistake that most people in your industry make by trying to contrive some make it real make it authentic work with a real artist work with you know with with somebody that's legit
1: well i right? think we know somebody Yeah, we know somebody. I, I can hook you up like, we, we have a contact con- it like, like it is
0: it is amazing like how many times like it's like no Hire a fucking real artist. Like, why are you hiring an actor to play or uh, hiring a graphic designer to design graffiti when you could just work with a fucking graffiti writer? For sure. Anyway, all right, so shifting gears. I really do some. like that idea, though. It is cool. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Scotty so, you know. P. Did you carry that into a big bust. Yeah. It <laughs> could be a really
1: cool... There's definitely. an interesting yeah. mechanism there.
0: Yeah, and the, the artists win. Like, this is about the community, saving the community, artist helping to and
1: maybe even Lucy your partner does not like the graffiti thinking it's vandalism and yeah. somehow we then see there's something else there that other people don't and
3: you think that, that I'm say. the one that would be completely annoyed
1: by that's vandalism right. but, but I but actually understand the, yes, the street right. code of that's what's right. going on that's
0: right that's right and and exactly the struggle right that All these right. kids have Good. I like all right, it. All right. So my work here is done. Sourdough. Kid, yeah, sourdough <laughs> in the house. You delivered. So Eric, you know, we've been focused so much on, you know, obviously the Rookie and talking about your career, but like what a lot of people may not realize, dude, is that you are also, being an artist, right, multidimensional, you are also a children's book author.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was something else that, that you like, know, I, like talk about that, man. Like that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. That was one of the best journeys I've ever gone, you know, gone on with my with my wife. We one point to do an animated series and it kept rolling in a different areas like you, you you throw things out you you know you keep reinventing the idea and trying new 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 things with it and after the birth of my daughter we started talking about this we you know you're, you find yourself buying a bunch of books buying a bunch of books for these kids to read and we found there was a complete lack in the market to fill the need for other types of dance that weren't ballet by the way can i just stop you for a second because this is
0: you're hitting on exactly what's Steinberg was talking about Johnny Johnny Stonehill over here. Anyway, what he was talking about in terms of, as an artist looking at the markets of business, yes. finding those opportunities. Where's the void? Where's the void? Yeah, and you saw a void in the children's book. We market. saw a
3: void in yeah. that space, and it, we thought, you know, it's not just about one form of expression. Again, art, funny enough, dance, right? It's not just kids don't just all do ballet. They don't all come from a background of it being that. And ballet, there are it's male and female. I didn't know but you came from a background of a ballet yes, background. So, <laughs> Jesus, this guy. The guy's in La Puente, I was the only ballet. <laughs> He's woogie, holy he ballet only dancer. dancer tutu. <laughs> right before med school, yeah. I was dancing. for the... <laughs> um, then I modeled uh, exactly. before I went to Oxford <laughs> and rode crew. And, and went to uh, Juilliard. He had a tutu line that was all mine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we found this this void in in that space with in regards to art for kids when it comes to dance. And my wife, being Puerto Rican and, and a dancer herself, and coming from. knowing tons of latin rhythm and the success of ballroom you've seen like dancing with the stars and stuff like that we said let's talk about a little girl who learns who's always wanted to dance latin rhythms and do some ballroom and do a salsa and merengue and a cha-cha and let's talk about the origin of those arts and where they you know how they evolved and what they became and let's teach kids how to get up and move and dance and express themselves and it so turned good. into a story about that—a little girl going on a journey. And Sabella.
1: how did you go from story idea to actually get the book written? Right. Did you have Publish, to get a, Did, you have, market, to get a, did yeah. you have to get an illustrator? Like take to get the an process. illustrator. We got
3: an illustrator out of Puerto Rico that my wife's known for years, and it's felt again talking about authentic art speaking to the cause. We found an artist that felt authentic to our idea, that really, really elevated the book, yep. and it, nothing felt contrived about doing. Oh, here's a book about Latin rhythms, yet none of the illustrations feel like they go hand in hand with that. My wife and I wrote up a whole uh, synopsis of what we thought, because we're not children's books writers, to to know exactly what to write page by page. We wrote up what we thought the book could be, and our agents presented it, and Penguin bought it. That's so cool. And it was was amazing when that happened. you know. And and at that point, brought in the illustrator, and it was a long, long process. But finally getting that released and- How long was the process? A few years, a couple years of finally going through it from our- you know, from inception all the way to selling to a year of art development and then finding the
1: release. How, how long was the time frame, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm I'm curious, how long was the time frame between selling to you guys actually finishing the script, the text of the book, and then from there till the book was released?
3: Probably a year and a half, maybe, at that point. Not to mention the six months or more before that of us writing and trying to get it sold. Because the art itself took at least six to eight months. You know what I mean? And you have to get their penguins approval, our approval, constantly going back and forth, making the dialogue work on what pages and the, the art working with the dialogue. And then it was just trying to pick a you know a time for launch. And it
1: was- Is it hard to carve out promotion for the book with like both you guys being successful working actors?
3: We were able to make it work for at that time, we, the time of the launch, it was able, we were able to work it out. We did a little tour in New York and got out there and promoted. And it was great. It was great. Such a great it was a very story, fun, man. Very fun. Very fun, you know, journey. Something very different for us. Is is
0: there a uh, sequel in the
2: future?
3: I would love for there to be. That was that was something we talked about. You know, what can Sabella go on another adventure doing? You
1: know, what can she do? So we well, got Dylan now. Come exactly. on, give him an adventure. Exactly. We go ahead do it. And how <laughs> his friends respond to a boy into I mean into dance in that culture. Yeah. There's maybe something. By the way,
0: that. here's the thing, man. Dylan learns how to dance. Oh, That's me. a life skill
3: that will serve I'm him well you, with his two I'm parents. Telling you, kid's gonna kill her <laughs> yeah, with but, the ladies. Right. That's one thing I wish I was so much better at. Like you know, growing up, you're like, oh, I don't want to do dance. I don't want to do dance. You you get there and you're out. and You see but some, some yeah. dude tearing it up, and you're like, man.
0: Yeah, shout out. No, no, shout out to the middle school sock hop. Right, circa eighty-eight or whatever the hell, and and you know the girls are in the in the middle of the floor dancing, and the and the guys are just standing along yeah, yeah. the perimeter,
1: <laughs> looking so cool. True. And yeah. then when you did when you dance, you got the you got your hands on her hips She's got her hands around your neck. <laughs> you step got your right, go to moves, left, and then <laughs> step, right, step right, step left. And oh my god, my hands getting closer to her yeah, she, I'm trying she to make sure, and I'm trying to make it's sure so my true. erection isn't pressing against her leg. It's, <laughs> it's so
0: true. You know. oh, middle it's school, so, true. It's so hard. <laughs>
1: Pre-social media, when people had to. Engage face to face. Yeah, I
0: know, right? Boy, Imagine should, that. Time could, has changed. Yeah, man. Changed. Yeah. Well, that's awesome.
3: Yeah, but, it was yeah, cool. Yeah. It was a great. It was a great way to uh, again grow and expand. And like you alluded to, when you're in this business, you really got to know the market as a whole? What else is out there? What keeps you creatively stimulated?
1: Is is Penguin pushing you for, I mean, obviously with a, with a book like that, I assume are, they're pushing you for more?
3: No, they haven't. They, I mean, it hasn't come up in that way yet, but they were, they were very pleased with it. And it's sort of, it comes down to a combination of things. I mean, that division changed over and it was under a, a division of Penguin called Celebra, who eventually merged into just Penguin Kids. That guy has since left and... You know, new regimes and everything come up, come Congratulations, and go. that's Thank really you. cool. Man. So we'll see if anything you know evolves from it further. But it was it was a lot of fun.
1: We're sitting with a Renaissance man, sourdough, totally. It was Swiss Army
0: knife over here, you know, of cre- of creativity. So it. okay, so we spent a lot of time, right, as artists, talking about the art we've done, the art we're doing. What's next? I mean, because like the curse and the blessing of being an artist is that we're always having new visions, right? We're always seeing new things, right? We're always having ideas. It's like, oh. I want to do that. I want to do that. I mean, we're never really satisfied, right? Because I think we're overachievers inherently in that we, we want to create, we want to create one. We we're not happy with what, what was yesterday. We're more interested in tomorrow. So in today, maybe. So the point is, is, what's next for you guys? Like, you know what, John, what, I mean, you're busy. You just came from another meeting where you're, you know, trying to sell another story. But I mean, where do you want to be five, 10 years from now as an artist? Like, what are some of the projects that have you excited for the future?
1: It's a great question. I mean, I, it's it's that, and it's it's the hardest question. I mean, because I think all of us in life, it's life flies by and you blink and two years goes by and then five years goes by. And it's crazy that, I mean, Eric and I met, you know, a year, like, well, a while ago, but in terms of the rookies you know, already, you know, we met almost a year ago now. Yeah, I'm working on a couple of projects. I got a couple of projects set up, uh, one at Sony, one at 20th. And looking to set them up, I enjoy being independent right now. I enjoy being able to work with anybody, you know, going through this process. And I'm sure artists, when it comes to the visual arts, tapping into Eric, coming to the performing arts, you get to a point in your career where you want to be creative and you have to be smart about the business. And that's, that's the place I'm in right now. And I have this interesting perspective of, barring a page from The Rookie, of having this great life experience and business experience being out of the business for a dozen years, now being back in it and having some momentum. It's really that fine line of uh, you get approached, you want representation. And the upside is you have somebody fighting for you. The downside is, well, suddenly now you're locked into more of their stable of writers and, and you're getting pushed in certain directions. So I'm kind of enjoying really seeing where the wind blows for just a little while here, you know, getting some projects set up, working on what I'm passionate about in terms of, having an overall, that's come up in discussion. And again, you know, the upsides of that compared to being more locked into a certain studio versus having the opportunity to work with anybody. So we'll see, but there are a couple of projects in particular that I think are, are, are relevant. Uh, I think in general, what's so important about any kind of dramatic story is, can you create a story where you really have a great argument to argue out, and I and I think in terms of the rookie, I think what's what's fascinating about the rookie is you have an argument there of of the downside and the upside of who he is, and and you can really, you know, you you have obviously the the humor and and Nathan Fillion is 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 incredibly gifted of being likable and funny and charming and everything else. Yet he's great at playing that dramatic side, and and he is super smart. And I think as season one goes on, I think viewers are going to see that we're you know he's going he's really discovering. His superpower, uh, you know, as the season's going on, which I'm, which I'm, and I think everybody involved with the show is excited about. In terms of this other project I'm working on, uh, about, um, actually, hold off on that for now. But it's, it, again, there's a great argument to be had there of here's this fascinating character, and, and there's an upside and a downside. And, and I think for all artists, especially uh, when it comes to writing, if you could find a, an argument that's relevant and, and have a great, strong argument on both sides you're onto something.
0: But John, you're a, you know, just like Eric is, uh, we all are, I think, a multidisciplinary artist. I mean, you have your hands in different things. You're also a tech entrepreneur, right? At uh, creating uh interesting apps and things in the tech world. What's what's happening with your endeavor. I'm working world. on
1: an app called Plans P L A N Z because, because Z. We all, that's we all, cool. Well, we all know that's hipsters. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm old. I'm old, but I know the young hip kids now. They like to take a word and change a letter, like <laughs> yeah. lift with a Y. Yeah. You know, it's a very cool <laughs> You're thing so to do. So street. I'm following the cool kids. <laughs> and so Plans with a Z. Uh, the the thirty thousand foot view is what uh, Expedia did for hotels and airlines. I'm doing for restaurants. So the restaurant reservation space is getting increasingly fragmented, and you have open table and they're. Obviously Obviously, the whale, as we all know, but now you have uh, Resi, you have Seven Rooms, you have SeeMe, which got bought up by Yelp, and more and more of these, com- uh, these restaurants are going to these other platforms. And so for the first time, we are aggravating, aggregating, I should say. Uh, oh, you're oh, aggravating, yeah, right? I aggravate myself. <laughs> yeah. I'm aggregating the platforms. Yes, yeah, so we're aggregating these different platforms like Expedia for restaurants. So for the first time, you could sign into these different accounts and find and book any restaurant you're looking for from one place. And what we also do, which is an interesting twist, is we invite the user to integrate our app with their existing calendar. And if they do, we will automatically curate and show them restaurants that are available for the date and time of the food-related calendar events that they create. So if I put in my calendar... Uh, dinner with Eric and Sourdough Friday night at eight o'clock. We will automatically send you a notification and then show you the best available restaurants for Friday night at eight o'clock that you could book based on the calendar event you just created. Oh, fantastic! Oh, wow. That's cool, and it's so fun. When, I mean, yeah. entrepreneurship is is incredibly creative if you allow yourself to be, and and starting a business is as creative as starting. Well, and look, anything. I mean, sure. I would the
0: artists I know are incredibly entrepreneurial. I mean, yeah. every artist I know is a small business. To, I mean, be. they're mm-hmm. creating product and IP all the time. And you're a brilliant. So entrepreneur. when can our listeners download the app right now? What's happening?
1: We uh, are probably about a month away from being on the, uh, we've been approved by the app store. We're just doing some final tweaks and then we're going to bring on our first beta users. If people are interested, John at makeplans.com, J-O-N at dot com. Shoot me a note and, and I'll engage with you yeah. if you're interested. Sure. That's
0: great, man. Yeah. Thank How about you, you E? What's, uh, what's, what's up? Next for you what I mean, obviously you're very focused on the show, I mean you've yeah. gotta you know, but as an artist as a creative professional, what other things are inspiring you? We have Who's a few more
3: months till we wrap and but I'm always constantly busy and as we've talked about working on other things and I also have been in the producing space for a little while now and I have yeah I have a show that's in contention right now. In development season over at Fox and I have uh, another one at development at Warner Brothers. So Good it luck, takes brother. a That's thank exciting. you. It takes yeah. a lot of my time. Some are newer and some have been passion projects for a long time. We talk about journeys. Like the one at Warner Brothers has been a process, a yeah. very long process. And
1: is I'm, it a personal story or it's a based story Based on of my dad's else? life.
3: Yeah. Based on my dad's life, that is a, your, your dad was quite a character, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. It's like a yeah. fascinating story. <laughs> fascinating. It's a period <laughs> piece set in the late sixties. Yeah. 60s. yeah. I'm really excited about finally seeing where that one can possibly go. So with the time off from The Rookie, I'll be obviously looking for other ways as an actor to continue working, which is always the case. Find a movie, find something in the off season, wait for our season two pick up, <laughs> knock on a wood. Absolutely. Everybody
1: watch The Rookie. Uh, exactly. Tuesday Sorry, is guys, I can't o'clock. help with that anymore. <laughs> Tuesday at <laughs> seven o'clock ABC. <laughs> exactly.
0: And then, you know, produce content. Right on, man. That's exciting. That's exciting. Well, you know, I ask because, you know, this goes back to why we're even doing this podcast, right? Because there's so much energy and activity happening in the creative world. And, uh, you know, the purpose of this podcast is to celebrate and elevate those stories. These stories are not getting told in mass media, really. Sure, you'll get an interesting artist interview on NPR. Or sure, Time Magazine has their annual design issue. But there isn't a dedicated media company focused exclusively on art, design, and creative culture. Right? And so this podcast is really meant to... And by the way, there are other podcasts out there that are doing this. And I think the reality is because it's a $2 trillion segment of the global economy and it represents a multi-billion dollar lifestyle, because being an artist isn't a job, it's a calling, right? And yet that community isn't being supported through mass media in a in a focused, dedicated way, right, so one of the things I hope serious radio is listening because like one of the, my vision, the thing that's exciting for me, is I want to create a channel on serious radio dedicated to creative culture. Can you imagine having a channel where artists get to do what we 've done right all day long right and if i 'm serious radio and I got thirty two million subscribers, don't tell me a couple of million of those people aren't way into Art, design, creativity, and want to hear about the not just the art but the business of the world, the artist the art behind the art the the, the business, you know the process, the whole thing, right, so you know we started this podcast to as an experiment to see what we would learn, and I have to confess that I don't think I would have ever have thought of talk radio as a platform if it weren't for this podcast and you know everyone's so focused on podcasts right now and that's great because they finally figured out how to monetize you know podcasts so people are focused on it but i'm a big zigger when people are zagging i like to zig or whatever right so and no one's really thinking about or at least you know i think it's a matter of time it's this is going to happen right it's going to happen eventually serious Radio is going to or you know apple radio somebody's going to do this but i want it to be us
1: People love hearing stories. I mean, at the end of the day, that's all art is, is like a story, whether it's even a, a flash of a moment in time of a story or, you know, Eric on on The Rookie. But art is telling stories. And, and frankly, what you're doing with this podcast is you're telling stories. You're telling yep, stories that's right. behind the art. That's right. And I think you really hit the nail on the head when it comes to a calling. Because one thing I, if I had to go back to Syracuse and say, this is what I've learned, I would learn that if you don't have a calling or you don't love art, or you feel like you're just as happy being an accountant, I think you'd be the craziest person in the world not to be an accountant. My dad was an accountant. And you know what? At the end of the day, if you learn how to be an accountant, you're going to make great money, and you're going to go to Europe every year, and your kid's going to go to a great college, and you're going to have a nice life. doesn't mean it's a life for you, but if you love art, you should absolutely do it. But I agree with you. It should be a calling. It shouldn't be a way to make money or to find fame because there's a lot easier ways to make money and and be famous in today's world. The most unstable
0: profession. Yeah. And I mean, well, but, but, you know, but the truth of the matter is guys, I mean, like you think about when we say art, we're using it in a very kind of specific way, but like when I think about art, like I'm thinking about it in a very broad way in terms of saying like, you know, a graphic designer who's working at Leo Burnett advertising agency would love listening to this show. And in fact, they would love having a show. Talking about graphic design vis-a-vis advertising or talking about advertising. How many people love talking about advertising, right? As as an art form. And so there's this whole culture of uh, creative professionals, you know, that live a lifestyle. Uh, that celebrates art and creativity and, you know, telling those stories and supporting those folks, I think is really important. And oh, by the way, like really one of the reasons I'm so passionate about this is because it would reinvent arts education. You know, we're so focused on, you know, we know that these budgets are being cut. And my question is, how can mass media help? And I think that radio could kind of fill that void. You well, you I, I just it?
3: think one thing as everybody's talking that I love about this idea and the podcast and, and, and the idea you have in, in bigger scope is people with art in general are so used to seeing a final product but nobody understands how you got to that that's final right product. That's and, and exactly that journey right. to get to the product yep. is so interesting sometimes more interesting than the art itself yeah, because right. it had so many more ups and downs and layers to actually see the final piece it's like when you 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 go to you know, Europe for example and you see an old sculpture and you look at the statue of David and you're like oh my god this is is the final product, but nobody knows how many incarnations it went through to get to that final product. What was first there, then chopped away and then put back and how then how many be, years, you know, to get yeah. to that final piece and that struggle. Cause it's a struggle for everyone yeah. to get to that piece. Even if you're a brilliant artist and whatever you did, you still chopped down a lot of stuff to get to that final thing
0: a hundred percent and by the way the journey is like, amazing and yeah. to talk about it's special
3: for sure and
0: and you know we talked about the rookie being a dramedy right the art world of fucking dramedy
1: well so is that, and, and also just bringing it back to a very commercial form advertising is a short is a short movie i mean i i think it's safe to say if there were no commercials during the super bowl they'd lose half their audience I mean, that's why half the people... I mean, so many people that watch Super Bowls... is can you, imagine,
0: can you imagine Sirius Radio having a channel... And then the day after the Super Bowl, there's a show that they just talk about the fucking 100%. advertising. Well, they do that on TV
1: the, already. Exactly. All the
3: commercials that don't make the cut or 100% did make that's the cut. right. That's and exactly. why did that commercial right. make the cut? And who was the genius that came up with the best commercial right. for the Super Bowl? That's right. How did they come up with and that creative the, vision? And have that team come on yeah. and talk about it. Like, you the creative know. vision to get to the final product because we all have seen a Super Bowl and had that one moment in a commercial where are like, That was amazing. That commercial was incredible. Who
1: are the minds behind that commercial? How'd they come up with that idea? Get the guy who did the the 1984 Apple commercial. I mean, like that. I know it's one of the most famous commercials of all time, but like, like, I mean, look at that. I mean, that's 30 years later, we're talking about that. Exactly right. The path to
3: get to that is incredible.
1: And the, I mean, one of my, some of my favorite scenes in Mad Men were like some of those moments when you're really, as Eric Sarma, when you're tapping into the process and the time, and you might see this great illustration, or, but to see the the rejections that, is, as, as Sourdough, you said, the, the graphic designer at Leo Burnett, yep. that guy's getting shit on, you know, a dozen times a day for a month before finally he gets that approval, and he's banging his head against the wall, and he's got to put food on his table for his kid and even though he's creative he also knows he better deliver commercially yep. or yep. else he's out of a job. Yep. And there's and a he, there's a drama
0: there. And even with all the frustration he couldn't imagine or she couldn't imagine doing anything else because they, you know, inherently love what they do. So, well, I'll tell you what. I love you guys and I love what you guys do and we're so lucky, right, to to be friends to be in this crazy business. And I'm just so grateful that you guys took time out of your busy schedule to come sit down and chop it up with old sourdough. Well,
3: we're glad to be here.
0: We
1: had bl- it was had a bl- lot of fun. I had a blast. I'm a fan of both of you guys, and I feel like I'm the lucky one sitting here, so I'm going to thank both of you. I learned a ton just, just yeah. <laughs> as we're talking. Like,
3: something like, listeners, like, yeah. you're learning so much insight into what's Absolutely. going on. Uh,
0: Loved, we'd so, lo- love to be back on. Well, we'd love to have you back on. And for our listeners, you guys got to
1: tune in. ABC, The Rookie. We just had our mid-season finale. You could watch it on ABC Go, and we kick back off uh, January 8th, Tuesdays, 10 o'clock ABC. Please watch.
0: Now, what about your socials? Because, you know, of course, the listeners, you know, we, we want them following you and tweeting
3: yeah. you and sharing you. I, I only do Twitter and Instagram. Eric Winter1 on Twitter and EB Winter on Instagram.
1: I think I'm real John Steinberg at Instagram. <laughs> I think. I'm <laughs> pretty think. <laughs> sure. The real John Steinberg, Instagram. Yep. Excellent. Follow me. I think you Excellent.
0: are, too. Yeah, Excellent. <laughs> Well, and I'm going to encourage our listeners and remind our listeners to make sure they follow our podcast at Not Real Artificial on Instagram. Of course, you can find us on SoundCloud, Not Real Art podcast. And of course, notrealart.com where they can learn about our upcoming conference. March sixteenth, the Not Real Art Conference, a learning event for artists to come together and learn, share, network, and grow. We've got four big events coming up in twenty nineteen. The Not Real Art Clubs going to be a lot of fun, and of course, the podcast which is released every month. So, thank you, gentlemen. Thank, thank you thanks for having right. us. And excited
1: for your events next year. They're going to be great.
0: Thank you. Me too. We'll see you there.